What's up, Doc? Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Bolivar. Uh, I'm so happy to have this opportunity to spend a lovely day with you. Hello, and welcome to another episode of What's Up, Doc? Thank you for joining us today. Today, Katie Saylor and I will be talking to Dr. Bolivar and his experiences. Dr. Bolivar, could you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are, both in the respects of in your field of study and also how you got to Wesleyan? Oh, okay. So let's, they're both interrelated um, in a way. So I think some students know, but not all know, that I graduated from Illinois Wesleyan University with my bachelor's degree in biology a few years ago. We'll just put it that way. Um, I started here as a biology major pre-med after spending a year abroad in Australia as an exchange student. Uh, I started uh, mid-year and so the first semester I was taking non-major classes but then I started in biology um, and of course enjoyed it but um, one of the things that happened was as a sophomore, I took plant and fungal diversity, which uh, was taught by Dr. Day at the time. And um, I got really excited about plants and fungi and bacteria because those were all talked about in the class. And uh, after that, I actually TA'd the class as a, when I became an upperclassman. And I decided to go to graduate school and so I left in IW and went to Indiana University and earned my PhD there um, in plant sciences. From there I went to Brown University where I was a postdoc for two and a half years where I studied the biochemistry of chlorophyll biosynthesis and I had my PhD had actually also been on how bacteria make their pigments of bacteria chlorophyll um, so as a postdoc, I was working on much more of an actual traditional biochemistry, breaking open cells, using columns and purifying proteins. Um, and one day I got an email from Dr. Day saying that he was going on sabbatical and he wondered if I'd be willing to come back and, and teach in his place for a semester. And uh, I was pretty happy in my postdoc. Um, but I mentioned this to my wife and uh, of course we're from this area and so when I mentioned that we could actually move back to the Midwest uh, for just a semester she's like we're that's what we're going to do so that's what we did uh, so I came to Illinois Wesleyan University as a one semester replacement for Dr. Day um, and they had just hired a geneticist who was from California and decided after just under a year here that they couldn't live in the Midwest. So uh, I was hired to be a, a short-term replacement for that person and then finally hired to the tenure track position. Um, and that was 25 years ago. So it's been a while um, since that happened. So then did you end up actually finishing that postdoc or did it remain unfinished per se for the period of time that you were scheduled to be there? So the original postdoc was for two years and then I got an, a, a one year extension, um, but I only took half of the extension basically. So uh, while I was there, I published several papers on the work that I was doing and I actually finished writing one of the manuscripts when I got here. So, um, you know, with science, no project is ever completed really. Um, but it was definitely to a point where uh, I had made significant progress. Sometimes I wish I'd had another six months there because uh, I was pretty close to getting something um, finished, really finished, but you know, you go with what life gives you. And uh, this was an opportunity that um, 
seemed like a bad idea to pass up, just partly because we had two young children and we wanted to be near family. So we came back. When you took the plant fungi and bacteria class, was that also when you realized that you didn't want to do pre-med anymore and when you kind of like completely switched your track? Um, in part, I think um, part of it was that I figured out, out around then that sick, sick people are really annoying to be around. Um, and, and I know that sounds rude, but kind of are, right? It's not fun to be around sick people. They're not particularly happy people uh, most of the time. And, and I decided that maybe that wasn't how I wanted to spend my life. Uh, so, you know, it seemed uh, less appealing to me. And also, I just really loved learning about plants. So I just, it did really make a huge shift in my, in my thinking. And I think part of it, the other part of it is that when you are young and growing up in a small town like I was, if you are able, academically able, um, people think you ought to be something like a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. And really there's no discussion about things like being a professor. That's not something that's on the mind of most people, I think, in a small town. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think, you know, really, I hadn't even thought about that I could actually do what I'm doing now um, when I was younger. But uh, I'm very happy I made the choice. I've heard others say who also enjoy plants that they have a favorite phyla of plants. Do you have a favorite phyla of plants? Oh, my goodness. Do I have a favorite phyla of plants? Um, honestly, I like the legumes, the leguminosa, and that's because there's a lot of variety there. So it ranges from things like peas um, to redbud trees, um, which are, you know, and then the flowers are just really awesomely cool and uh, have a lot of structure to them. So yeah, I guess I'd say legumes are on my, high on my list of things. I like a lot of other genera as well, but that's a, that's a family that I like pretty well. So if the initial spot at Wesleyan hadn't opened up, um, where would you see yourself? Was it still being a professor or do you see yourself maybe doing a different kind of profession once you finish that postdoc? Um, while I was here looking, I was looking for jobs because it was not a, a sure thing that I would stay here at Illinois Wesley and then all the jobs I was applying for were professor type jobs to and other schools. Um, actually, most of the other schools I applied to were not liberal arts schools, they were bigger schools. Um, and I went on a couple of interviews at various places uh, around the country. Um, but um, before I even, well, I accepted the position and then I got a couple of other interview offers, but uh, I'd already made my commitment to be here, so, yeah. Could you see yourself teaching at a large university or do you think you really like the small school atmosphere? Oh, I definitely like being here. Um, it just brings about different opportunities, I guess. Um, I think I would still enjoy being at a bigger school in some ways because I would be able to accomplish more in my research. That's definitely would be true. Um, and I would have close interaction with students at the graduate level instead of the undergraduate level. But, um, you know, here, I have been able to do the things I want to do mostly in science and also interact with students closely. So I think I'm very happy with where I am. Um, and I think uh, one of the misleading things about um, small schools is that some people really believe that research can't happen at a school like Illinois Wesleyan. I think that's absolutely wrong. I think we do some very interesting things. Probably the, the most new creative 
thing that requires really, really expensive equipment we can't do. But we find ways to, to do the things that we want to do and answer the questions we want to answer. And you get to engage young scientists. Um, I talk about training other people's graduate students is what I, what I feel like I do to a certain extent. And that's, that's a good thing. It's a contribution. Um, and I think that our students, when they go on wherever they go, are well prepared to do what they want to do. So. Now, speaking that you, obviously, Illinois Wesleyan's a liberal arts school, have you taught courses that aren't science per se, like a gateway or any courses like that? Yeah, I've taught gateway, I think, four times. Uh, they did have topics related to science. So um, usually had something to do with um, GMOs, genetically modified organisms, and, and how they people in the past did that sort of thing so with natural with selection so even going back into prehistory people were actually acting on plants and selecting plants for characteristics that they liked um, and then running up through what we can do today uh, with genome editing and talking about the change and how that's resulted in our, us having to have conversations about what is the appropriate things to change? What should change, what shouldn't change, or at least how do we think about it and how do we have a conversation about it? I don't, I don't try to get students to come to any particular conclusion. It's more of a, have you thought about this? Um, things like, you know, if you can test for uh, Huntington's disease in an individual, um, how do you help that person make that decision? Um, and that's led to this whole field that's out there right now called genetic counseling, which is amazing. Uh, and we have typically one or two students a year go to do genetic counseling. And um, once they get their training, they, they end up doing all kinds of interesting things. So some of them end up really doing more counseling work. Um, but some of them end up going into research related to human genetics in the end. So it's really interesting to see uh, how that works out. And the students are all across the country. So it's, it's fun to keep up, catch up with them. And uh, Facebook, although it has its flaws, one of the big advantages is that I've been able to sort of connect with those students still and um, watch their lives progress. It's pretty fun. Do you have a favorite class that you like to teach here? That's hard. Um, I mean, I teach genetics a lot, so it's probably my favorite class. Um, <clears throat> but I really like teaching molecular genetics because I get students to get beyond um, the basics and make them read lots of papers from the primary literature and it helps me to sort of remind myself um, about the, the little details that uh, sometimes I don't get to think about very much and when I'm teaching just regular genetics. Um, I actually also really liked, I was for a while teaching the plant diversity, plant and fungal diversity lecture course because I like to get students excited about plants and uh, all the different things that they're used for and um, all the different sort of variety, going from uh, bacteria to algae to fungi, which are really awesome, to, to plants uh, and sort of the range of variety of uh, organisms out there. It's just a lot of fun. Do you think that that molecular genetics class will be offered anytime in the future? Um, hopefully next year. So, so this, this year, everything is uh, compressed because of leaves and sabbaticals, but um, I'm hoping that next spring, I will have freedom in my schedule to do that. Because Dr. Albi and Dr. Cozy will both be back. You mentioned that in your postdoc, you all three, you studied the biochemistry of chlorophyll synthesis in your 
I guess, schooling, did you ever, um, I guess, did you have to take a lot of chemistry classes to do that, or was it more biology focused? Um, so this is at Illinois Wesleyan at the time I was here. Uh, they had just started offering a biochemistry course and it didn't fit in my schedule. So my first semester of graduate school, I actually had to take uh, a biochemistry course. Um, at, it was actually at the undergraduate level that I took it. Um, what's interesting is that at a, at a big school like Indiana University, they really have two different biochemistry courses. They have one that's taught in the biology department and one that's taught in the chemistry department. So the one that typically is taught here is, is like one that would be taught in the chemistry department. The one that, that I took at Indiana uses a different textbook that is focused more on the biological aspects of it. So um, the flavor of biochemistry that you get in those courses can be quite different. Um, I've used chemistry much more than I thought I ever would um, because it wasn't particularly, particularly my favorite topic. Um, and organic chemistry was a huge struggle for me, uh, honestly. But, um, you know, you, you learn the things in undergraduate that that you expose you to the things that you need to know. And then if you need to know them in graduate school, you go back and you study it and you figure it out. So one of the things about graduate school is just helping you figure out, I can learn anything. Um, I know that we sort of learned that in undergrad, but we really, you really learn that in graduate school. That if you're, you know, really devoted and really thinking and really caring you can learn anything if you need to. Now, am I a great organic chemist? Absolutely not. Uh, I am not really a, a chemist's chemist, and I, I'm not really uh, the chemical form of biochemist. I'm more of a, a practical biochemist in the lab, um, kind of asking those kinds of questions, simple questions like, how does it work? Um, what happens when you mix these two things together? Um, trying to get an enzyme purified kind of thing. I am not um, the kind of biochemist that does um, molecular interaction studies or isothermal titrations or those sorts of things. Those are all great things. They're just not the form of biochemistry that I'm, I do because I don't have the, the chemical background that some of us do. So what is the research that you're working on currently? So I have two projects, two sort of directions. I have one project that's related to bacteriophages and Dr. Alvey and I do collaborate on that. So I know that you've had a podcast interview with Dr. Alvey and um, if people haven't heard it yet, they will. But I imagine he's gonna talk a lot about rotobacter uh, bacteriophages. Um, that's been a lot of fun because we get to collaborate and think about things together and uh, we're working on writing a manuscript together on bacteria pages. Um, my other project is related to how plants and bacteria make chlorophyll and they use, we're specifically focused on the enzyme that um, makes the pigment green. So Early in the biosynthetic pathway up to a certain point, everything is red in tetraperol biosynthesis. And then this step that I study, uh, it turns, it's actually a really complicated uh, six electron oxidation that ends up forming a five membered ring at the base of the molecule. And the cool, coolest part is that the pigment goes from uh, red to green, so you can actually see it work uh, if it's worked because the, the, it actually changes color. Um, and so that's actually what I've been studying since I was a postdoc, that enzyme. And more recently, I've been doing collaborative work with groups in both Sweden and Germany to study that. So there are actually two different forms of the enzyme, one that uses oxygen and one that doesn't. 
Um, and so the one in, that uses oxygen is found in plants. And the people I work with in Sweden work on that enzyme. And we just published a paper in September in the journal Plants. Uh, starting uh, one of the papers, we have another one that we're getting ready for submission. And then um, the people that I work with in Germany work on the, the form of the enzyme that doesn't use oxygen and that's found in bacteria. Um, and we have a paper from that group that's in review right now. So um, lots of good, interesting stuff going on right now. And then I'm now have a, a this straight, this student named Anna who's working on a project uh, related to um, chlorophyll biosynthesis using the, the plant enzyme. Uh, really weird. Plant type enzymes. So I speaking of your research, are you looking, a lot of people I know are like looking for research opportunities. Are you looking for any research students? Do you have any availability? Are you full or how's that situation going? I'm pretty full all right now. Um, partly because of COVID. I don't want to get too many more students because um, I don't want too many students in the lab physically. Um, I think I have uh, four students currently working on projects, um, one of whom is uh, a next STEM scholar. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but she's uh, um, working on that project with phages, and I have Hannah, and then I have two others working on a project to try and isolate some viruses that that infect other organisms. So, um, not animals. I don't do animal viruses. No, not, not getting, not interested. Um, Has COVID influenced a lot of the availability of like race doing research for you or has it really not changed that much? Uh, to be honest, it really is painful um, because I was on sabbatical last spring. I was in Europe. I had just finished working with my friends in Sweden uh, and I was getting traveling on my way to Germany and COVID hit. And so I had to leave Europe uh, basically without much warning. And I didn't even make it to visit my friends in Germany at all. I was supposed to be there for another month. So uh, that had a negative impact on my ability to get science done. And then Honestly, it's just, I couldn't work even here at the university over the summer. We were not allowed to be in the laboratory because of COVID. Uh, they shut down the university completely. So that's time that I normally would have gotten some research done. So yeah, it's definitely had a negative impact on, on my ability to get some work done. But compared to the, the cost to other people, I'm not complaining. I, I feel like I'm, actually very lucky to have, be able to work and interact with students still uh, at a place like Illinois Wesleyan. We figured it out mostly. There's some, you know, there's small outbreaks that happen, but generally speaking, as a campus and as an institution, we've done pretty well. Um, and I've been really pleased with not only the university response, especially the response of Dr. Fulce, who's been leading this, and, and generally the students, they take it seriously. I haven't had to remind a single student about a mask. It's been great. And that that's, shows maturity, shows responsibility. Yes, we have people making mistakes, but everybody makes mistakes when they're 18. Heck, I'm not 18 anymore and I still make mistakes. So, you know, it's just letting, let it, you know, communicating and sort of reminding and, and uh, being respectful of others and the things that we would want people to do. Um, it's, I guess it seems like a really old thing, but you treat others how you want to be treated. You know? And that includes wearing a mask when you're around others because that's how you prevent the spread. Speaking of masks, I've seen you sporting some very fashionable science masks. Uh, could you tell the audience what different designs you have? I do. Uh, I do. And, and the, the, the wonderful thing is my wife has made these for me. So she has, uh, she likes sewing. And so we 
found a company that we could order fabric that had uh, different designs. So I have a mask that has bacteriophages on it. I have a mask that has uh, like stained uh, chromosomes, like a, like a cytology stain. And the latest one has uh, a sequencing outline from um, automated sequencer. So it has like this readout of peaks of sequence. Um, that's probably my favorite, honestly, besides the phage one. Uh, I did provide Dr. Alvey with, uh, with the phage version as well. So we can be twins if we wear our masks on the same day. Um, I, I shouldn't say I provided. My wife made it, but, um, you know, I get to take part of the credit. Have you guys worn the mask on the same day accidentally yet? I think we did one day, but I don't remember. We should probably take a picture of the time that we do that, yeah. I'd say that would be great. <laughs> um. Going back to the conversation about your research, I know that you talked a lot about like working with others and how science can be kind of like a collaborative process. Um, I know that a lot of people think like, oh, as a professor, as a researcher, like I just work in my lab by myself. Can you talk a little bit about how like science is such a collaborative process and how that like has been good or bad or mixed um, for you? Sure, I can talk about that. I honestly, um, I've kind of had both kinds of experiences in a way because uh, when you're a postdoc, even if you're in a lab, you're really sort of doing your own thing and have your own project. And the collaboration is a conversations that you might have, but it isn't actually quite the same as collaboration when you're doing the collaboration on a project that goes across countries like I am doing now. Collaboration is, is just an awesome thing because you bring together people who think about things differently and together, you cover all the bases, right? So, I mean, it's sometimes some people are good at one thing, some people are good at another. Uh, you have a conversation, you each do your part, and that's how you end up with a really nice outcome. You each do parts that make sense, do parts that you're good at, and that ends up getting a better result and also getting a better answer. Um, have I had negative collaborative experiences? Um, not really. I think sometimes some things just don't work out. And so I've collaborated with people where we've tried to work together, but the experiments just didn't work. So I don't, but I don't view that as a bad outcome. I think it's just sometimes the way science is. It doesn't always work. It's, it's, uh, that's why we call it research. We, search and research and research and until we get it to work or not sometimes. Um, and, you know, that's okay. I think that's uh, probably the hardest part of science in some ways is accepting when really the experiment's just not working and you have to come at it from a different way and you have to maybe some approach just isn't going to give you the outcome you need. So. Part of it is really figuring out when to say, okay, that's enough of that try. Let's try something else uh, because that one's not gonna work. Um, and you may not even be able to explain why it won't work. That's what's sometimes hard about biology is it works in a biological system and we just don't know everything there is to know. So we don't always know when things, why things won't work. We just know that you try it and it doesn't. And so you go, okay, well, that, that didn't work. Um, and that doesn't usually get published. Uh, you know, what gets published is when things work. Uh, so it's sort of a conundrum because if there was a way to sort of publish non-working things, it could be helpful to other people, but there's not really an easy way to do that. I know that there have been some attempts to do that, but people, it takes a lot of time to write a paper. Uh, it really does take 
almost a month or two months to really get a paper written uh, well, if not longer, uh, to create all the figures. And so, uh, at least in biology, you're not going to spend three three months writing up something about it didn't work. Do you think it's important for undergrad students and their lab work to go through that where like their experiments don't work? Like you think that is something that should be integrated more into curriculum? Uh, I think we've done a pretty good job of actually integrating that into our curriculum in biology. Um, at least um, between, so the, in the first year, students either do phages or they do the project labs with, with formerly Nisa, now Libby uh, Haywood. And they have to work through the experiments and not all experiments work. And I think that's an important part of it. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. Could we get more of that experience? I think so. But then now that we've added this new version of the genetics lab, which we struggled a bit with at the beginning, uh, and we're still struggling a bit with, it's sort of a, uh, an ongoing, development, I guess I would say, of, a, of the lab course. Um, enough of it works that you get to learn the techniques and how the techniques are supposed to work. But, uh, and with a goal in mind, but with the understanding that science is a challenge and it doesn't always, you don't always have the time to get to, to the final point. And and I, I understand that that can be a, a frustrating thing for students, but I think that's actually a good thing to understand about science is that uh, it's hard and it takes time and you have to really keep working at it. And sometimes you run out of time uh, to get it done. Sometimes somebody else does it before you and publishes it. And that, that does happen. Uh, all of these things are, are true about science. And yet science is really a lot about the curiosity that you carry with you uh, and wanting to know the answer to the question. So even if somebody else sort of figures it out before you, a lot of times it's like, oh yeah, that's so cool. Uh, I, I didn't think about it that way. But that then brings on the next question that you can ask. So you really need to, to have sort of that willingness to sort of let go of yourself a bit and say, um, what's the question and what, how can we answer it? Yeah, I was going to say, looking back on like having to do the bio 390, it asks you to talk about some kind of like experimental work that you've done. And I feel like between doing sea phages and then that beginning uh, project that we did in general chemistry and then doing genetics and even doing like less of a research in the sense of lab, but at least trying to understand um, a piece of like research literature and um, evolution. And then having what probably without COVID would have been like a project in organic. Like I feel like every science class we've had, we've done something that has made you at least think about it in a research manner. And that's been like super helpful, at least for me. And then I know like for other people when we have to write like applications about why we want to be a researcher, like why we want this summer opportunity. It's like, well, let me tell you all the like experience I've had and why what I pulled from that makes me want to do it again in a different capacity. And it's been like super helpful. And as a science major, it's it's critical, right, that you actually have done, done something that relates to science. Not everybody has to do an independent project and it's not for everybody. That's one of the things that I, I, I do want to make clear, at least in my thinking, is that for some students, it doesn't make sense to do an independent project because it's not relate, really taking them the place they want to go. And that's okay, right? But we want to give students enough experience uh, through the coursework that they have the sense of what it is to be a scientist. I can't remember if you've mentioned this already, but when you were a student at Wesleyan, did you do undergraduate research with a professor?
Um, let's see. I did not do research on campus. So, and I didn't do it for credit, but I worked at a seed corn company that doesn't exist anymore called Funk Seeds Com Corporation or company that made seed corn and they had a plant pathology department. And so I worked there during the summer and during the school year um, doing basic plant biology work. So making sure that plants get watered and things like that, simple things in the greenhouse, but also uh, because it was plant pathology, doing infections of plants uh, like corn, mostly soybeans. We did some, but mostly it was just corn. Uh, looking, we'd grow up uh, fungi that infect the corn and then we would actually infect it and see how the progression of that worked and uh, whether they could identify resistance in certain strains of corn and going out and doing hand pollinations of corn. So doing sort of corn genetics in a way. Um, but I was not uh, the scientist, I was the, the doer. Here, you go do this. And that's what I did, right? I mean, I did what I was told. And so it wasn't, a, it, it had the sense or the feeling of what it would be like to work in industry in a way, so that I had a, a sense of how that kind of science works which means you're not always doing what's most interesting to you. You're doing what the company needs you to do. And again, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that, but I, I think I felt that that wasn't what I wanted to do after all that. I wanted to be able to have a little more control over what I found interesting and decided to pursue. Uh, and the only place to really do that is at a, a, as a professor at a school. Um, I guess the other thing I'll just point out about being at a small liberal arts college is that you don't have to worry about getting external grant funding. And if you were at a large state school, that's a, a big concern because of, that's where a lot of the decision making happens uh, is can I get money for this? So that's one of those things that I find uh, refreshing. I don't have to worry about necessarily whether something works at all. Um, I get to follow it and just do it as best I can. Is this the same Funk Seed Company that was the one that sold the first commercially sold hybrid seed corn? In the world? It is indeed the same company. You know that grove of trees down there called Funk's Grove is from the Funk family. And some of the funks still live. There's a, there's a number of them around in the area. Uh, one family that lives down there have the maple syrup place. Um, and I grew up knowing that family, actually. They went to the same church that I went to when I was growing up in McLean, Illinois. So, um, and I've known, we've had some of the funk family actually come through one of the, one of the nieces or nephews was a biology major and became an op optometrist. Um, um, I don't know where she is now, but um, yeah. So it's the same family. Um, they sold, obviously, I think, I don't remember what company they sold it to, but I think Syngenta is now the company that owns, owns that. But yeah, that's the same fun family. So going off of what you did while you were an undergrad, um, were you in any clubs? Like what was your college experience? Did you have any activities on campus you really enjoyed? Uh, clubs. Um, no, I was, uh, because I was working um, and I was actually working for the seed corn company and also working, I was in the, a dugout manager, so. I was a manager in the dugout, which at that time actually still had the little dugout part. Uh, and it was in a different, sort of in this other part of that area, um, sort of where that big bump out is. That's where the dugout used to be. Um, so I didn't, wasn't so involved in clubs at the time. Uh, 
I think you have so many more activities than we had when I was a student here. Um, I would go to, I occasionally would go to the plays. I enjoyed that. I'd go to some of the music concerts. I enjoyed that. I really, until I got to college, I was involved in music in high school, uh, music and theater. Those were the, the activities that I was involved in, in high school. It just, I uh, didn't have the time to do that when I got to college or maybe the right answer is I didn't make the time to do that when I was in college. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't uh, do all the things that maybe I could have. Um, and, and now, I mean, the things that you have available to you are awesome. Like, I'm, I'm sure that you guys all know that I work with the Habitat for Humanity chapter. Uh, although right now we're not able to build because of COVID. Um, uh, every Saturday for about the past 10 years now, I've been working with students building houses. And um, that's just an awesome thing that students have available to them amongst the many other activities. But that's the one I, I get involved in and really care deeply about because I think it makes a difference in the community. Are any of the professors that you had still on campus? <laughs> so Tim Reddick, Dr. Reddick, I had for general chemistry. Um, I'm trying to th I think the most of the rest of them have retired. Um, but when I came here, there were a lot. Um, Dr. Um, Dr. Criley was here still. Um, Dr. Griffiths was here still, uh, who's since left. Um, Dr. Hippensteel, of course. So some of you may know him. He just retired a couple of years ago. Um, in biology, Dr. Young in history, uh, Dr. Bushnell, Dr. Muirhead in English, uh, the French professor, one of the French professors was, was uh, Corey, Dr. Ehrensbach. Um, yeah, it's a long list of people who were here, but I think I think actually Dr. Matzo, um, violin professor, one of my friends was uh, taking lessons from him when I was a student here. Uh, the person who was, used to be chair of math who just retired uh, was, was also here. Um, yeah, there were a lot of people at the beginning, but they're mostly all aged out now. <laughs> Has Wesleyan changed a lot since you've been here from like when you went here as a student to when you got on as a faculty member at the very beginning till now? Or has it kind of stayed pretty much the same, just a little of changes here and there? That's a complicated question in some ways. Has it changed since I was a student here? Yes, it, it's definitely changed uh, since I was a student here. For example, the, the building that I'm sitting in right now was not here when I was a student here. The CNS was built. It actually opened uh, right before I came back. So it was built between when I graduated and when I came back as a faculty member. Um, so there's been a lot of expansion of buildings uh, like the dorm, uh, the rust house wasn't, wasn't a thing back then. Um, but some things are still here, right? So Dolan was where I was living when I was a student. Um, that building was there. My wife lived in Pfeiffer at the time when she was a student. Um, and Gulick was here. Munsell Ferguson, all of those things were here. Where the CNS is now used to be the Sigma Chi House. Uh, and now, that, of course, they moved that when they built the CNS. Um, so, I mean, there's this physical changes, but there was also a change in, at least when I first got here, in the ability or the thought about growth. So we went from, when I was a student, 1,600 students, I think it was, the target to over 2000 when I was first here. Uh, and then we've slowly been shrinking since then. Um, but the problem 
in some ways as we built a faculty to support 2000 students and now without 2000 students we've we've um, we have a faculty that's for more students than we have students and so that's created all kinds of issues um, of the budgetary type and that's the challenge i think we're facing right now and i'm sure the students are well aware of that as well as i am that um, money is and budgets are an issue um, i think um, that change is mixed uh, in terms of what whether all that growth was a good thing i i you know looking back it offered students at that time a lot of other options it was pretty cool uh, to have a lot of new things that students could major in but i don't think it was a bad place before that and i don't think it's a bad place and uh, hard it's just hard to to sort of figure out how to for everybody to navigate the times that we're in and uh I think uh, in biology, we definitely have changed dramatically because when I was a student here, there, the, the ecologist and Dr. Day, the plant biologist, took turns teaching genetics every other year. So there was, there was nobody who was really even a genetics person, per se. They were both experienced in something else teaching genetics as sort of uh, somebody's got to do it so one of us will take a turn and around the time when I was hired the person they hired from California was the first person that they hired to truly just teach genetics so uh, and you can see now the world that we're facing the world around us genetics is just it's so important to understanding modern biology so huge change um, a lot of the techniques that i'm teaching students now didn't exist even when i was starting grad school they were really new techniques uh, and now they're routine right i'm doing them with my undergraduates right as part of a lab that makes it a lot different than than back then we didn't have you know the facilities that we have the capabilities we have Nonetheless, we need to keep an eye on the fact that we don't want to throw away the basics. We need to keep an eye on the fact that we need to keep giving students the solid foundation um, that they need. Because we still need to know those basics. And so we're trying to sort of balance all that as a faculty to try and make sure our students get what they need. So now we'll move on to our next section which is called the rapid fire section. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, <basically, laughs> <Fine one. laughs> um, so basically what it is, is we have a list of questions. And Katie, if you want to do all of them, you can. It's going to ask you a question after another, just like boom, boom, boom. And you're just going to say the answer that comes to your head. OK. <laughs> what socks are you wearing today? Uh, my brown socks. Who was the best professor you had in your co like college experience? Um, Dr. Frank. What do you teach? Organic chemistry. Why was he your favorite? Because he, was, he came into class every day so enthusiastic about organic chemistry, you just couldn't be not enthusiastic. He also drank so much coffee that I don't know that he could ever come down. <laughs> I, which I can kind of identify with, but now I have to drink, drink decaf. So I was going to ask you: Is it are you a coffee or a tea kind of person? I'm a coffee person, absolutely. Although when black? I lived in oh uh, yeah, when I lived in Australia, I was a tea person because that's what they serve mostly. But what was your favorite childhood TV show? Um, goodness. I don't know. Transformers? No, that wasn't around. There's some version of, of that. He-Man. He-Man was good. What's your favorite thing to cook? 
Or to eat if you're more of an eater than a cooker. Uh, I, I love grilling pork chops. And uh, having pork chops and then grilling corn to go with it, sweet corn. Yeah. Do you have a favorite sage? Oh, my goodness. Um, no, I don't. If you pushed me, I would say Titan. I called it. Because <laughs> Titan was one of the first ones we isolated. Mm -hmm. so it's special. Do you have a favorite Wikipedia page? <laughs> Do I have a Wikipedia page? A favorite. Is that your favorite Wikipedia page? Uh, no. There is a Wikipedia page about the enzyme I study, so that's a cool thing. Do you have a favorite holiday? Christmas. Do you put an angel or a star at the top of your tree? We have a star. Do you have a favorite superhero? Uh, super gum guy. Who's that? <laughs> it was a superhero my son made up. Aww. It was shaped, shaped as a big uh, gumball, and you know you would he would throw gumballs at you and fill your mouth with them, and you'd chew it up, and then you couldn't talk, and then you'd get stuck, and yeah, so super gum guy. And it's it's a great idea. That's awesome. For someone who's traveled to Germany, Sweden, Australia, France, France, what's your favorite place that you've traveled? Oh my goodness. Again, another hard question. Um, I'm not very good with favorites because I like a lot of things. You have a least uh, favorite? My least favorite? Um, Probably my least favorite was when I had to go to a meeting that was down in St. Louis and we picked a really cheap hotel because it was in walking distance, but then sort of figured out it was walking distance through like one of the uh, really not very good areas. Uh, so you couldn't actually go to any sessions at night because it was uh, kind of risky to be out uh, walking on the street at night. So that's probably my least favorite place I've visited. Um, a, a lot of places I love to visit. Um, lots of places in Germany and Sweden is awesome. Denmark is great. Uh, Copenhagen is a wonderful city. Australia was wonderful. Um, yeah. I usually try and find the best thing I can out of most places, but that one place in St. Louis was not good. Do you speak any other languages other than English? Uh, not fluently, no. I, when I was in college, I took French, but um, most of that is gone. But I speak a little bit of a lot of things because of uh, my travels. So, and it's it's kind of fun to see how words are similar in different countries. So, you know, the word for something that you see in in Germany may actually be. If you look at the spelling, you can see, oh, that's connected with this word in, in Swedish or you know, things like that. So it's kind of fun. What flavor was your wedding cake? Vanilla. Did you have vanilla icing too? Yes. Now, did you, I know a lot of people have it at Wesleyan. Was your wedding at? No. <laughs> no, it was in my wife's family's church. And then we had a reception across the street which Katie may know, um, so because it was in Macomb, you know Macomb. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so she's from. My wife was from Macomb. There's a house across the church from the church called the Old Bailey House, um, which was a sort of refurbished old house. To, that's where the reception was. And then the big, the big thing is we had a champagne uh, thing. That was a big deal. A champagne fountain. Champagne. No other alcohol, just a champagne fountain. Oh. That's cool. <laughs> now, 
Now, like, how does that work? Do you take the champagne glass and you like tilt it up so like the, the pours in? Well, pours in see, it? that's the thing is I don't get about champagne fountains because it loses all the bubble. So it's like this fountain that's sort of like cascading down, and you just stick it into the cascading thing, and I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. What is something on your bucket list that you want to get done by the end of this year, so the end of 2020? Hmm. I want to, by the end of 2020, that's hard, because what can you get done in this amount of time that's left? Uh, we can extend it, end of 2021. Yeah. Okay. I want to develop an enzyme assay for the bacterial aerobic enzyme, which is what Hannah's actually working on with me. So, and uh, it involves making a lot of, a couple of other proteins that we can make and then mixing that with another protein that we got to make by growing it in bacteria and trying to get them to work. So it's actually a really, really complicated thing, but um, I'm hoping that we can get it to work because it would be really cool. Mm -hmm. Are you nearsighted or farsighted? Or do nearsighted. you wear glasses for fun? <laughs> I do not wear them for fun. If you ever look through my glasses, you would know that. <laughs> I am nearsighted and I wear trifocals actually. And our last question, are you excited for your birthday? No. Why not? COVID. Because then I don't get to, you know, my son won't be here able to come and yeah, it's not quite as um, cool as it normally would be. I think the, the excitement of birthdays wears off as you get older. I think I've been saying this. I have a hypothesis that after your 50th birthday, there's like no point in having birthdays until you're 100 because like you don't, you don't, nothing like big happens. You know, like when you're little, it's like, well, now I'm a teenager. Now I'm in my 20s. Like I can drive a car. I can rent a car. I can drink. I'm 50. I would, uh, I would say the number starts at 30, though. Yeah, I was going right. to say, I think early 50 is mm -hmm. a little late. I guess it's it's like, yeah, it's 25 is the last birthday where you're, like, getting something, like, because then you can rent a car, and then you hit 50, and you're like, if I'm lucky, I'm halfway to death, even though the national average would be lower. And then when you get to 100, it's like, man, I made it. Every birthday passed. Actually, it's, man, I'm ready to die. <laughs> That's what I've heard. It's true. I guess it's whatever the national average is for death. It's like every year after that, it's like, guys, I beat the rest of America's average. That's one way of thinking of it. Um, I mean, usually for me at this point, birthdays is, uh, is it's about being with family and seeing my family. And um, it's kind of not possible to do that with COVID. Um, although my son who lives in Indianapolis has really been pretty much in isolation. So at some point I think he is going to come over and then be with us. Probably, I'm going to guess that once the semester is over, when I'm not going out constantly, uh, he'd be more likely to come. Uh, he works as a software engineer, so he can work from anywhere if he wants to. So, and the company is now uh, finally got him a laptop so he could come actually be at our house and work. Um, and the only problem is he's a bit allergic to the cats. So, um, but that's his choice about whether he comes. And usually he comes and the first thing he does is go find the cats and pet them. So I don't really worry too much about that because he's sort of, he's, he makes his own decisions about, because he likes the cats, the cats are fun. How are your cats? They are really confused about why we're home all the time. <laughs> um, not that they dislike it. They're just like, shouldn't you be going somewhere? Um, and I do, but my wife and my son, basically, they, the only place that 
they go, let's see, they go to the gym when, as long as it's under a certain percentage of occupancy, like under 30%. Um, I don't know, our, our gym exercise place we go to. And then my wife uh, went to the grocery store on Monday for the first time in three or four months. So that's about it. Um, so we are kind of, we're taking COVID really seriously and trying not to, not to be a, a, a problem. And um, it's, it's easier when you're introvert like me, um, who, who likes to be isolated. My wife is uh, an extrovert, so it's much harder on her. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. I know we appreciated it, and I think the listeners will appreciate it too. Um, we hope you had fun and enjoyed yourself. Oh, I and have a great birthday. It's, it's always wonderful to see the two of you online or in person <laughs> and have a conversation. And of course, Hannah too, yes. who had to leave. Uh, but yeah, it's it's awesome. Uh, it's fun. And I'd much rather do that than go to yet another meeting I have to go to. And that's our episode. Thank you so much for listening. We want to put a special thanks out there for Hannah Johnson, Sailor Williams, and Katie Vogler for being great hosts today. We want to thank, obviously, Dr. Bolivar for coming in and talking about his life. And another thanks to Katie Vogler for sitting down for multiple hours in front of this computer to edit. It has been a great day and catch us for our next episode coming out two Wednesdays from now. <laughs>